This podcast is supported by Swiss watch manufacturer Audemars Piguet. At this year's Art Basel Miami Beach, Audemars Piguet is delighted to present its latest annual art commission. The work, titled Slow Moving Luminaries, was created by Lars Jan and curated by creative director Kathleen Ford. It will be on view throughout the fair on the Miami Beach oceanfront. Hello and welcome to the Artsy Podcast. I'm Isaac Kaplan. The 16th edition of Art Basel in Miami Beach opened this Wednesday to VIPs. 268 galleries from 32 countries are exhibiting in the Miami Beach Convention Center in what is the last and one of the largest events on the art world calendar for 2017. Here to talk a little bit about the fair from Miami, our executive editor, Alexander Forbes. Hey, Isaac. And deputy editor, Scott Intrasec. Hey, Isaac. Hello to both of you. So, Alex, as I mentioned, this is the 16th edition of our Basel Miami Beach. What's new this year? So one of the biggest things that people are talking about is this revamped convention center. It is still uh, a little bit rough around the edges on the outside. On the way that most people get into the fair, it's beginning to have a new facade on it. On the other side, uh, it is pretty much a, an open construction site. Uh, but we are two of three years into the renovation of the Miami Beach Convention Center, which was actually organized around the Art Basel shows. They only wanted to change the layout once, not twice, uh, because that uh, causes a lot of stress for galleries and a lot of, uh, I think it's safe to say, arguments between, between the fair and galleries when people get shuffled around and uh, maybe don't like who they're next to or where they're located in relation to entry and exit points. But this $700 million renovation adds 10% more exhibition space to the fair this year. It's a little bit more rectangular, I think. It's a little bit easier to navigate. The aisles are a lot wider, even though they're adding more space. Um, they didn't, they actually took away one gallery or they have one fewer gallery than they had last year, which also allows for these much larger, more kind of user-friendly plazas throughout the fair. They brought in a lot of greenery. Uh, the director, Mark Spiegler, told me this morning that they figured out that uh, it was easier to, to rent a bunch of uh, really nice-looking plants than it was to buy AstroTurf, uh, which they had kind of used in, in some of the younger gallery sections um, throughout the fair in the past. So th there's a lot more places to sit and enjoy yourself. It has raised the bar of what the experience of this fair has been, which, you know, up until this point, the convention center looked uh, a lot more like what you might have seen uh, out of something in Miami Vice, uh, the very kind of like old and, and 70s, 80s Miami, um, not the kind of new revamped uh, cultural center that, that Miami has become. I would say from my own part, as someone who like almost always gets hopelessly lost in any art fair, um, I got lost less this year. So from one, one person's perspective, it, it's definitely like a, a easier to navigate experience, I would say. And while you, were, while you were navigating around, I mean, Scott, what struck you about the fair this year? I think, well, one of the things Alex was discussing was that some of the new layout has meant that the arrangement of where galleries end up and have landed has, has changed a little bit. And I think, you know, it, if there's this idea that when the doors open, there's a beeline of 
big collectors to towards big works that it, this might have taken them a little bit longer to find where they're going exactly. But um, I think actually one of my my favorite booths this year was Sadie Cole's HQ, which is a London-based gallery, um, who kind of had this a, a pretty prominent spot. I mean, e even if you weren't aware of the exact layout of the fair, it would be really hard to to miss them because um, they had kind of an anchoring spot. And more importantly, the whole booth was anchored by this pretty impossible to miss work by Jordan Wolfson, who I know is an artist that people kind of either love or hate <laughs> these days, more or less. But um, and I, I don't think this this work will change that opinion much. It's it's called a house with a face, and it's this enormous resin. It looks like a children's house from like a terrible fairy tale. It's got a it's got a face on it. Very Instagrammable, but also like kind of horrifying. And that booth also has. A bunch of different works from you know slightly lesser known artists like Michelle Abelis and um, uh, Borna Samak. I'm probably mispronouncing many names here, but hopefully not. Um, and also a huge sculpture by Urs Fischer of his peer, the artist Adam McEwen. It's one of these um, candle sculptures he makes that are meant to basically be. I don't know if any. I guess people actually do this. They would buy this and then actually light the candle and let the thing gradually melt over time. I might not light it if I bought it myself, but, uh, but yeah, this is this is this is definitely one of the uh, the standout booths for me. And and again, something I think even with this new layout, there's definitely anchoring booths within the fair that you know kind of are showstoppers that you, you really couldn't miss even if you were slightly lost. Let's say totally no. I think it, it actually to me I, I would agree that it was a lot easier to get around, and because you have these plazas, the different uh, actually it's fewer entrances this year, which makes it a little bit easier. I only found myself missing one aisle uh, and then having to go back right before I left uh, to see this whole string of galleries that I hadn't seen whereas I think before I've summarily missed whole sectors of the fair I think until the last day and so that's I guess success on one level. Um, I did hear from galleries uh, as you'd kind of mentioned Scott that they were giving collectors a little bit longer than uh, they have in the past for uh, them to make decisions so I think you know Miami is fairly stereotypically known as the about the fastest pace uh, fair for sales that there is. Uh, American collectors tend to be pretty uh, excited or impulsive, depending on how you want to, uh, to characterize it uh, with their purchasing. And so uh, this year I heard that they were getting, you know, around two hours to make a decision on the very uh, top most sought after works, whereas uh, before about an hour was the most you'd, you'd ever see somebody getting. This is a dumb question, but meaning in the sense like the that was the longest time a gallery would put something on hold, like a temporary hold would be two hours, or, or yeah. And I mean, I, I think as the day wore on, those holds got got shorter and shorter. But in those initial two hours, I mean, I would assume though I, that this isn't how it was characterized to me, but I would assume some of that also has to do with uh, the gallery wanting to sell to the best possible client. Um, so you know, making sure that before you've sold it to the first person who actually did, uh, as the director of America's Noah Horowitz kept imploring people to study their, uh, their fair map and know where they were going before they walked in the door, uh, rather than that being the deciding factor of which collector got to walk home with the work, uh, give people a little bit more time to find the booth and make sure that, that as a gallerist, you're putting that work in, in the best possible hands as well. You know, I remember last year, obviously I wasn't there, but it was right after the presidential election and there was kind of an influx or a presence of political works throughout the fair. I'm kind of wondering, you know, one one year out, still obviously a very politically charged climate. Did you notice political works or or has that kind of tapered out? 
I would say less less obvious, you know, and my guess would be that, you know, if that the last last year's fair obviously came right on the heels of the election and people were kind of like shell-shocked, I'm sure, to a large degree or very shocked in, gen- in general. Um, so it was very sort of almost didactically political works that were very prominent. I would guess by this point, you know, a year later, people are sort of still shell-shocked but maybe exhausted, you know, so that that... That sort of work would would play differently. What was surprising to me, um, given that you know, 2017, we've obviously been through much this year. But but one of the things is this kind of groundswell of um, pushback against sexual harassment in the art world and in every other industry. You know, culminating in like you know, Time Magazine's Person of the Year being this large group of women who are you know breaking the silence on these issues. I, I would kind of have expected to actually see a bit more work that addressed that or addressed politicized feminism in general and that that did exist you know in the fair but i didn't i didn't see it as sort of like a, a real culminating theme with, with some exceptions i think um ppow gallery which is a new york-based gallery has a really terrific booth it's it's actually is kind of you might miss it it's kind of tucked in the back um, but it's worth checking out they've got these great um photo series from the 60s by carolee schneeman who's uh, my new hero after seeing her speak at the new museum Last week, she's like the coolest 70-something-year-old woman and was definitely a real pioneer in, in many, many ways. Um, and also Betty Tompkins, she's got new work there um, that sort of text-based works in which uh, she takes kind of found images and writes on the bodies of all the women in, the, in those images, whether they're from art history or, or documentary images, just kind of covers the women's bodies with uh, not all derogatory words, but just language that's drawn from the way people talk about women. So you, you see the men very clearly, the women are kind of totally covered up. But I think that booth definitely kind of spoke to this very topical, timely conversation that everyone has been having this year about um, sexual harassment and, you know, what women's rights are, even though it's, you know, we're still having this conversation, which is kind of uh, astounding by 2017. But here we are. No, I would would totally agree with that. I think last year, you know, you had works um, like Gavin Brown showed this, uh, I think it was three pieces by Rickert to Indonesia um, that actually took the... New York Times cover from uh, the day after the election, um, and you had the Sam Durant and white supremacy work, and several other pieces throughout the fair that were just like, you know, directly in in response to what was going on. And I think this year, whether it's you know, there, you, there's a lot of different reasons that could be, but perhaps artists have had more time to kind of process through things, uh, and, and it seemed like there are a lot of presentations that do reference uh, politics and are inspired by our current moment, but have done so in a way um, that is, I guess, slightly more subtle. Um, I actually thought it was, it was interesting. Uh, the, Miami, the new Miami Beach mayor said um, in inaugurating the fair this morning, he said, uh, art elevates discussion. It allows for disagreement about ideas in an agreeable way. And you need a lot more of that these days. So I think that there's there's this sense throughout the fair that, um, you know, works that might not be overtly political at, at, at their, you know, from, from the aisle, I guess, or presentations, as you dig in deeper, uh, you find that there is quite a direct, a direct connection to what's going on today. Yeah, and, and part of it, you know, might also just be that, you know, trying, trying to present topical or political work, given the pace of how many crazy developments each day presents, you know, might just, uh, I, I would, I would guess that maybe some galleries are afraid that 
you know, if they plan to show work that was political and they picked, made those selections two months ago, they'd be afraid that by, you know, December 6th, the world itself would have moved on to some new um, crazy moment that, that they would look at a step with. So that, that uh, my guess would be maybe that's some of the reluctance to be as as overtly topical, let's say, in a, in a very obvious way. And Yeah, that's that's a super good point. I feel like, yeah, that, that more thematic look at it then makes a lot of sense. So we're speaking on Wednesday evening and the fair opened to VIPs just today. But Alex, I was wondering if you can give us an early impression on sales. I think we've seen a, a continued upswing in the market based on what I was seeing today. Um, after a couple years of downturn, uh, 2017 seems to be a, a strong a strong year. I mean, obviously we had this $450 million Leonardo da Vinci that everybody is continuing to talk about. So that sense of, of recovery in the market was really palpable on opening day. Um, you know, even by 2 or 3 p.m., uh, a lot of dealers had kind of let down their guard a little bit. They'd, they'd done a lot of good business, made uh, several multi-million dollar transactions. Um, at David's Warner, they'd sold a Neo Roush painting for $1.2 million and a uh, Kusama for $1 million. Uh, Mnuchin sold a 2002 work by Mark Bradford for $3 million. Over at Pace, uh, there's a Yoshimoto Nara that sold for $2.9 million. Um, so, I mean, that's that's just a a sprinkling of the activity that was going on today. I'm sure, um, you know, the fair hasn't even closed yet, and I'm sure there'll be a lot more reported as the evening wears on. Uh, I'm eager to hear what our colleague Anna Sussman has has dug up in her reporting today. So I think, you know, that that's that's a very good sign. Um, I was talking to uh, Pace's Mark Glimsher, and he mentioned, you know, one of the things that they've noticed at the moment is uh, a lot more liquidity entering back into the market. Right now, uh, you certainly have equity markets pre- performing really well. Um, there's a study up at Bloomberg this morning that said CEO, CEO optimism is its highest level in, in six years. So I think the business community feels good, and, uh, and, and certainly that has a good effect on the art market. And so a number of dealers mentioned that um, this liquidity that's in the market is also due to um, a lot of strong supply. So over the past couple of years when the art market was down, one of the biggest things that was consistently cited is that um, there just isn't the, the supply of works, that people weren't consigning works to the secondary market, uh, whether they be to, to dealers or to auction houses, um, you know, because the, the economic picture was unsteady and they thought perhaps that they wouldn't get as good of a price as possible. Um, now there's another thing that's that's um, kind of spurring them to do that, uh, which is that the Republican tax bill, which it seems ever more certain will get a, a signature on it day by day, does not contain the same um, Section 1031 of the current code, which allows collectors in the U.S., to defer paying capital gains tax on a sale if they buy more art with it. So it's been something that's been used uh, very frequently uh, among the really top end of the market. If the tax bill becomes law, you'll see, I think at, at least people were were saying that supply from those major American collections, um, the kind of trophy works that uh, the market is uh, most hungry for, at the moment, um, you, you you probably would expect to see fewer of those hitting the market. But Scott, kind of turning away from 
the Miami Beach Convention Center and looking at the host of satellite fairs that that orbit uh, our Basel and Miami Beach that are also open or opening this week. You know, you've you've written a bit about Untitled. Maybe can you explain what that fair kind of specializes in for listeners who aren't familiar and and tell us a little bit about, a little bit about what you saw there. Sure. Uh, yeah, I think the the main thing to note is you know people refer to this week in Miami as basically you know Art Basel Week and as sort of a catch all that's now come to be an umbrella term for I don't even know what the final count would be but kind of every time you turn around there's a, a smaller satellite fair that's just popped up you know um, when you weren't looking but um, I, out of that whole mass and I'm sure there's great satellite fairs that I'm not mentioning here but you know the, the party line tends to be that that NADA has been you know for years also a strong equal contender on a bit more of an independent level um, untitled is another fair a little bit younger as well that's you know really becoming you know, the, those three fairs together, I would say, are kind of the go-to places for, you know, art lovers, but also collectors as well. Um, the important thing to note is that um, I think just in general, the whole scale of, of price and, and the, you know, the kind of collector you're talking about is, is completely different. If, if Alex was mentioning, you know, a, a $3 million Mark Bradford work selling at uh, the main fair in Art Basel, that sort of number would never ever, ever be coming from anyone's lips at Untitled, let's say. Um, you know, most most of the people I spoke to there, you know, they're really terrific sculpture and painting for, you know, let's say three to $8,000, which is not not nothing, obviously, but, um, you know, is, is sort of, your, it, those fairs are definitely reaching a, a, a collector base that is, that has money to spend on art as a luxury item, but um, that doesn't have $3 million, let's say. But, um and uh, yeah, that, that I think Untitled is a really terrific fair. Nada is opening tomorrow, so I can't uh, can't really guess what that experience will be like. But in in general, that's always been um, terrific. And, and also in terms of you know the ability to kind of discover younger artists that you may have never heard of. Not that you can't at the main fair in Art Basel, but um, you know Art Basel is definitely more bigger ticket trophies, let's say, than than these smaller fairs would ever would ever have. Yeah, and I think you make a good point that this week, probably more than any other, at least in terms of, uh, you know, gallery-oriented weeks, allows you to get a picture of what's happening in what we call the art market, but is actually many small, different markets that are, are all related to artistic production in some way. But whether that's, you know, the market for street art or the market for young emerging art under $10,000 or the market for these trophy works, it does provide this really wide picture, which is uh, kind of unprecedented. I mean, it speaks to the strength of the market in this country, uh, the, the continued strength. And I think that was something that the dealers today uh, doubled down on that, you know, despite what you might say about uh, the growth of the, the market in Asia and a lot of exciting things that have happened there, um, despite the fact that people do still um, make very, very significant sales at Art Basel's Basel Fair and the associated uh, emerging art fairs like Lista, um, you know, that this is, uh, at, at least for American dealers, the biggest week of the year. All right, let's leave it there. We'll be back with white wine shortly. But first, a message from our sponsor. This podcast is supported by Swiss watch manufacturer Audemars Piguet. 
At this year's Art Basel Miami Beach, Audemars Piguet is delighted to present its latest annual art commission by artist Lars Jan. Art sees Matthew Israel will be leading a panel about the art commission with Lars, creative director Kathleen Ford, and Audemars Piguet's in-house historian and watch expert Michael Friedman. In advance of the panel, we had Matthew and Lars sit down to discuss his immersive installation, Slow Moving Luminaries. I guess the first question I want to ask you is, what are we going to see when we get there? The site itself is really provocative. It's a sand lot right next to the beach, and on it is a two-story pavilion. And as you step inside, you realize that the entire lower level is a labyrinth made out of these pieces of scrum fabric. And once you get to the end of that level, you'll go upstairs and you'll see that the roof is covered in water. And these building-like sculptures are actually appearing to emerge from the water and sink back into it. It's sort of like Paradiso and you know, with Dante or something like that, where it's like you have to go through one situation in order to get to the next one. As someone who has background in performance and then making this actual like large piece of sculpture, how do you combine those two aspects of what you do? I think that that question gets right to my own personal identity and the way I see the world as well. I'm a hybridist and I walked into a world in which there are various silos often placed around different mediums, various barriers that I've had to navigate. I'm an incredibly visual person, but I also like to express things in time. So I'm really a time-based artist and the installation itself is a time-based experience. It really takes some time to move your body through the piece. For more, attend the panel happening tonight, December 7th at 5.30 p.m. on the Miami Beach Oceanfront between 20th and 21st Streets, or go to audemarpigay.com for additional information on the project. And now back to the show. So for this special edition of uh, White Wine, we're going to hear a little bit about what you guys are doing in Miami this week. Alex, let's start with you. What are you excited to see? Well, right after this and in a brief uh, moment of editing, um, I'll be heading to actually a project that Artsy's put together at the Bath Club in Miami. Our colleague Elena Subaleva curated a show with Samara Golden, Jillian Meyer, uh, the performer performance art duo Flucked and uh, Maria Nepomuceno. So really excited to see that. That's actually also open to the public all day on Thursday. And the other thing that I'm uh, really excited to see, although is unfortunately being unveiled at exactly the same time, but I hear will be on throughout the rest of the week, is a piece by Studio Drift which involves a swarm of, of 300 drones. I guess they all talk to each other and light up and fly around. I think the, they're taking off from the faena every night uh, around 8 p.m. and have, have lights attached to them. So I'm not exactly sure what that's going to look like, but it's, it's definitely been one of the more talked about satellite installations that's, that's happening this week. And what about you, Scott? Um, well, the thing I already got a sneak peek of, but I think uh, the public opening is on Thursday, is Mika Rotenberg at the Bass Museum of Art. I um, interviewed Mika for a piece on Artsy this week as well. And the, the show is two of her latest videos, one from 2017, the other was from 2015. It was at the Venice Biennale that year. It's really hard to kind of describe what she does, but it, I think for people who maybe think that 
uh, let's say video art is always very serious or kind of dare I say boring. Um, she, <laughs> she really, she really is like a, if you were going to recommend one person to say, Hey, go see this artist, Mika Rotenberg, I think you would really change someone's opinion about that because, uh, it's, it's very smart work, but it's also really entertaining. And that, that was kind of a lot of what I spoke to her about was uh, her saying how she wants to be like very seductive with the viewer, but only in, in the sense of, you know, wanting to be smart and entertaining at the same time. And, um, I think that's a very good combo. And the, the show is, is very smart and very entertaining. So uh, I recommend it to all. Oh, and actually, if I can just add in one last thing, because in, in true Miami fashion, there's always more things that you want to do than you may have time to get to. But if I do have time to get to everything, I also really want to see um, the new ICA Miami. So the ICA has been is, is a new museum for the city that has its first kind of real permanent space fully unveiled this week. Um, it's been supported by Norman Brayman, who is also a kind of driving force behind Art Basel coming to Miami in the first place. Um, so they have a, a whole host of projects that are, that are up right now, but I'm particularly excited to see the Everywhere Studio, which is group show curated by Alex Gartenfeld, who's their, uh, I think his title is Chief Curator and also the Sengen and Goody show as well. Great. Well, that's all we have time for this week. Thanks to Alex and Scott for joining us here. I know things are busy in Miami. We'll let you get back to it. Please remember to rate and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts if you haven't already. You can email us with your comments at podcast at artsy.net. See you next time. Our producer this week, as always, associate editor Abigail Kane. The theme music is by Broke for Free. The ad music is by Jazar. <laughs>